0: and good afternoon, Australia. Welcome back to Radio Tony. This is the Everyday Business Show and I'm your host, Tony Lantus. Just a reminder for those of you listening live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube and Twitch, we have the gorgeous payo listening in the Philippines ready to answer your questions, comments and send you links to the information that we're talking about today. Um, Just a reminder that the replays of the show appear on our own TV app, Tony TV on Binge Network USA and also across all LG, Roku, Samsung, smart TVs across the world. Just look for Tony TV, the channel. Now we have a particularly special guest today and I'm really grateful he agreed to appear live on the show today because we're talking about a difficult subject. For those of you that are listening, Just a reminder if we talk about things that trigger you in any way, please reach out and seek help um, and make sure that you talk to someone about something that might upset you. But we're going to have a frank, open, and honest conversation with our amazing guest today. Adam Armstrong is a recovered addict. Um, He is now five years clean and sober and he's on a mission to talk about addiction and recovery. In 2019, Adam created If I Motivation on YouTube as he identified a lack of resources available to help people struggling with addiction in southwestern Florida. Adam knew that the same things he struggled with would be some of the things that other people grappled and struggled with too and he knew he could help. Unfortunately, 10 weeks after he created the YouTube channel, his best mate Robbie passed away from a fentanyl overdose and it occurred on the day before Adam's three-year clean and sober mark. So it's become his mission to reach as many struggling addicts as he can with his own channel. Um, Adam I'm so grateful to have you on the show today welcome thank you for being with us I know it's late at night for you (laughs) over um, on the west coast of uh, America and I'm on the east coast of Australia so we're about (laughs) as far away from each other as you could possibly imagine but that's okay we're here together today and we're going to talk about addiction and recovery welcome to the show Adam
1: Glad to be here. It's an honor and a privilege, Tony. Thank you for for doing this with me. It's it's just an honor. I'm glad to be here.
0: I think that it's really brave and courageous to talk about something that is so immensely personal, so filled with shame and guilt. So I thought today that I'd start right at the beginning. And if you're comfortable talking about how your addiction started and how you got caught up in in this lifestyle
1: yeah so it actually started excessively young so um my mother abandoned me at two years old and um left me at what we have as a salvation army um during the middle of the 80s during the crack epidemic yeah um so then i went to yeah. live with my grandma and I stayed with my grandma for a number of years. And, and believe it or not, my addiction actually started as a very, very young teenager. It started off with basically stealing cigarettes from grandma because I'd just seen it. And I thought, well, they're doing it. Why can't I do it? Then it led to alcohol, drugs, um, ecstasy and cocaine, primarily in my late teens and into the 20s. And then um, Florida, as well as the United States, has a massive opioid epidemic right now. So it went from that to prescription pharmaceuticals and then eventually um, being an IV heroin user.
0: Wow, Adam. So I'm guessing that at those early years, it didn't occur to you that it would develop into such a life encompassing addiction. I'm guessing that there wasn't a lot of education that would allow you to understand, hey, I'm progressing into dangerous territory. And the other fact that we need to remind our listeners of is that young men in particular, their brains don't develop until they're at least 25. So if yes. you're messing around with drugs at such an early age, there's no capacity for you to understand or conceptualise what you're getting yourself into. And I'm assuming, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but that dart of addiction was a numbing for you, numbing the pain that you felt about your rejection from mom and what was happening in and around your life. Is is that true?
1: You know, Tony, that's, that's so very true. You know, I, um, I was faced with uh, basically PTSD and I was suffering from abandonment issues because, I would always go to my other side of the family and I would be like, well, why and why, you know, just being curious as an adolescent. Mm -hmm. And um, there was never really exacts. Everybody tried to like shuffle the things under the rug, as we would say. And we'll just talk about it later. We'll just deal about, we'll just deal with it later. And then it definitely was a numbing situation, you know, Um, whether it be ecstasy at 16 years old, staying up all night um, or cocaine well before 18 and and just everything. It was basically my way to escape because there really wasn't a set example on how to deal with your issues. You know, um, I come from an Italian family, and they're a little bit more on the hush hush side. The family name, and um, so we never really talked about anything. We just basically bottled it all in, and the volatility within inside me led to my own demise. Yeah
0: um adam in your um learning and education um because obviously you've done a huge amount of work on yourself yeah i'm wondering if it's your experience that often addiction comes from a traumatic space it is does it I know that there's a genetic component so that you were actually predisposed to some sort of addiction by virtue of the fact that your mum was an addict. Um, Is that still true? Is that, am I up to date with my research on addiction?
1: You know, you know, Tony, I've done ample amounts of um, due diligence regarding this matter. And, you know, it it, it firmly, I firmly believe it could actually go both ways. So, When I was in a treatment facility for like the sixth time because I could never get detox and rehab right, I actually brought that exact question to um, one of the counselors. And I was like, you know, my mom's an addict. My dad's an addict. Am I destined to be an addict? You know, and it's a fine line. You know, is there genetic um, predisposition? I firmly believe there is, right? But it's also one owns path. It's it's education, it's perseverance, it's strength and hope and courage. It's it's the possessing and retention of attributes and characteristics that it takes to succeed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Adam, in your journey from addiction to recovery, what do you think was the lowest point for you? And what did it take for you to go Oh my god. I'm, I'm- <laughs> uh, what did it
1: take? Well it, it, it took a couple different things. I, I I know most people probably don't come on the, the, the show and do show and tell, but I got a couple photos right here on the floor.
0: Oh good. We love that.
1: This was me. <laughs> that was me. I was a hardened criminal. I was a thug. I was a convicted felon. I was out there trafficking narcotics. I got one more photo. This was me. Um,
0: uh, Adam.
1: So basically, what happened was is I ended up um catching a heroin charge. Um, I was in you know, narcotic sales and distribution and everything else, trying to get a small percentage so that I was getting high. I thought I was doing big things and I was just a functioning addict um, taking advantage of my friends and their addiction. But what, what my saving grace was, Tony, it sounds really weird when I tell this to people um, incarceration, I was on the way to go. I was on the way to go get my hair did my hair braided and we got pulled and we got pulled over. Thanks. Everybody says that on social. It's, um, it's good. <laughs> I got pulled over and, um, I was so under the influence of the heroin that I had just injected that I actually left the, um, syringe, the needle on the floor. And then there was four bags of heroin total. I swallowed the empty bags instead of the full bags. Beautiful. So the law enforcement officer seen the, seen, um, the paraphernalia, the, the syringe, the needle. Yeah. On the floorboard, that was probable cause to rip me out of the car, search the vehicle. I was riding um, passenger. We call it shotgun. I was riding passenger seat. And um, they basically got me. So they charged me with possession of heroin. Um, That was that other picture with my long hair, with my hair pulled out. That was uh, March 11th, 2016. And I have not looked back. It's been five years and just over three months, I believe. Yeah.
0: Well done. Yay. Now, listen, I'm figuring that uh, being an addict and being incarcerated is not a great place to be and not a great place to start your recovery, I would suggest.
1: Yeah. So, you know, reflecting back now, Tony, I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Um, The magic cure-all in that specific county, Lee County, Florida, in southwestern Florida here in the U.S., the magic cure-all is water you detoxing off heroin and you're shaking. You got acute withdrawal symptoms. Drink water. Can't use the restroom. Drink water. There's no services rendered. It's just uh, it's a tough luck, stuck like Chuck kind of situation. And uh, it was misery. But it, I needed that cage rattling. I needed something or someone or something to rattle me as hard as I could because I had one foot in death's door. Like, you know, I was one foot in the grave, as we say. You know, and if I wouldn't have caught that heroin charge and went through such a traumatic, miserable experience, I probably wouldn't have had the, the success that I have today. So as weird as it sounds, Tony, I sort of kind of owe my life to the Lee County Sheriff's Department in, in Fort Myers, Florida, yeah. because I was yeah. a functioning heroin addict at that time. I got arrested. They gave me a bond astronomically high. I was living my life in $20 increments. I couldn't come up with 10% on $10,000. There was no way. So I had to sit. I got on the phone. I called everybody I could possibly think of. Help, help. Come get me. Come save me, which is what typical addicts do. I don't feel good. Come save me. And uh, you know who came? Nobody. Because the people that loved me wanted me to stay there. And the people that didn't were doing the same thing out there in them streets, expecting a different result. Yeah, yeah.
0: Adam, um, I want to ask you a bit more about that recovery, but before I do, I'd like to know from your perspective some of the key attributes of an addict. For those um, that are listening today, I want to know quite clearly what you can look for, some of the things that you can look for that addicts might display, because we know that research would suggest that there are hundreds of thousands of very high-functioning adults slash alcoholics out there so what's some of the things that people can
1: look for so like some characteristics and attributes of currently functioning addicts is you know um for me and i'm just speaking on my my experiences. Yes. It's not a step-by-step yes. program i'm not a doctor and this isn't medical advice um yes. you know some of the things is it's uh the ability to accept uh one's fault Like it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's their fault. It's the world's holding me down. My boss is holding me down. Um, the inability to compromise, um, with yourself or others, you know, because we're very like self-seeking, we're very self-centered in our addiction. So it's me, 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 I, 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 and now, now, now. So it's like, it's, it's, and, and I've been through all the stages, you know, I, I come from yeah. an HVAC background. I make very, very good money. So I've been the functioning addict. I've been the homeless addict. I've been the, I've been the everything addict, but like, yeah. Oh man, like for the opiates consistently, um, a, a very sleepy or if you're on like methamphetamine or uppers, it would be not yes. sleeping. It would be insomnia, mm-hmm. um, basically. Mm-hmm. And then just lying, stealing, manipulating, um, all the other things that I just used to do. Like I'm looking back at the things I used to do to people and I'm like, yeah. wow, I was, I was not me. You know, like I tried to restore yeah. all the relationships and not everyone gets restored because of the decision-making skills yeah. I possessed. But just to answer your question um, it's, it's all about the person. They're, they're very yeah. limited on compromising situations um and then they're just they're eager to seek out the next fix, like instead of yeah. going to Christmas with grandma it's i'm gonna be late because of whatever reason and and it's the acquisition and apprehension of the narcotics so they their times it's wrapped like up in acquisition, happened. and it's yeah. it's basically doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, a hamster wheel of sorts yeah. of of insane uh tendencies. Yeah.
0: So I want to take you back to that time when you're incarcerated. And Uh if you're comfortable, Adam, talking us through all of those things that you went through in in that environment. And let's just say from the get-go that it's one of the toughest environments to try and survive in anyway without trying to beat an addiction. Sure. Can you tell the audience a little bit about some of that time in there, if that's okay?
1: No, perfectly. I'm an open book. You ask me anything you want to. So I basically, um, yeah, no worries. I spent the first couple days downtown before they moved me to the main facility. Then once you arrived to the main facility, they put me in a dorm. I was in dorm room number 13 and the population in your Mm -hmm. typical dorm is probably sitting about 70 or 80 men. And it was like a, uh, and it almost reminded me of like a prehistoric land, like watching a movie where dinosaurs were roaming because it was just I was still coming off the drugs because it took, you know, 50 days to get out of my system. And I'm just looking around and I'm like smacking myself. I'm like, is this really happening? Is this a dream? Am I dreaming that this is happening? Yeah. And then, you know, the insomnia for me. So the first night, um, the, this sounds really weird, but the restrooms have excessively amount of flushing power so when they flush the toilets it's like whoosh and then we're all in flip-flops so everybody's click 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 whoosh click 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 whoosh sounds like granny on her typewriter and a jet taken off so it was it was very brutal i also came in there under indigent status which is basically you're broke and you don't got no money because you decided to spend it all on drugs before the police caught you So I wasn't provided any anything. I didn't have any any candy, which I learned later that your sugar levels are excessively inadequate up and down when you're detoxing um, both from alcohol and drugs. A little bit of sugar goes a long way. Um, I remember one of my bunkies like he was the next bunk over because it's uh, a bunk bed and I was on top. He was the gentleman to the left of me. I'd be flopping and I was averaging, I remember writing myself a bunch of letters, right? Cause they said journal to yourself and then you go back and read it when you're having a bad day and, and you reflect and your day's not that bad compared to where you came from. So I'm yeah. journaling. I'm like one and a half, 1.5 hours of sleep today, 2.5 hours oh. of sleep today. I think by day four or five, I might've accumulated eight hours total. So I'm on the top of the bunk, I'm flopping like a fish, I'm twitching all the basically the withdrawal symptoms yeah. associated with Mexican tar That's heroin. Horrible. Absolutely. And then the cops, the the correctional officers are like drink water, drink water, but my bunkie gave me a piece of candy, and I'll never forget it. I let the piece of candy just sit in my tongue and I fell asleep for like 4 hours. My blood sugars had regulated. Oh, okay. I didn't have goosebumps, chills, and, and it was able to, to subside, you know, and then by like day or f- four or five, the realization that the drugs were starting to wear off. But the realization that I was mm-hmm. actually there and that I would actually yeah. screwed my life up, that I'm going to court on a possession of a heroin charge, that I'm ruined my life. I had liquidated every asset. I have burned every bridge. I blew up every bridge that I couldn't burn I literally diminished myself to nothing. Like I was a 31 at that time, I was a 31-year-old heroin addict, incarcerated in jail. And I said, What am I gonna do? Like, what do I do? So they had a couple um meetings there. So in Florida, it's pretty much the anonymous program, the 12-step program. They don't really go outside of that a whole lot. It's available, but just not in incarceration standards. So I went to a couple meetings and I just started like reading, whether that be specific religious books or informational books. And I just consistently gained knowledge. Like I wanted to realize how did I screw myself up and what can I do to not screw myself up again? So I just went to a bunch of meetings. Then I finally um, got offered um, to get moved out from uh, medium security to low security. Uh, So we went out to the tents. At that point in time, I went into the tents, Uh, a business partner of mine, we hadn't formed the business yet. We formed it after sobriety, but somebody I've known for 25 years, I walk in there and he's in there. He's in there on 10 counts of prescription fraud. Then all of a sudden, my my brother Robbie that passed away, he has a dirty urine analysis for probation, for testing positive on cocaine. So like a week later, he's in there. With me. So we're in the same tent now, low security incarceration. I got a business partner to be somebody I went to kindergarten with. So we've known each other 20 plus years and my brother walks in there. And, you know, so it, it helped when other people got in there, we were just hanging out. We were talking about how we needed to fix ourselves. Um, and then I just got an offer from the public, um, uh, defender's office, And they gave me the option. You can either lay for one more week, lay down for another week. They were going to give me 90 days. Credit for time served would have been 75. I was going to serve 69 already. So I had about a week left, give or take. Or they offered me all these contingencies. They offered me probation and classes and fines and court costs and see the judge and pee in the cup. And like the list went on and on and on and on and on. And there was no doubt in my mind. I needed the probation. I needed the contingencies. I needed the classes. I needed the structure. That's where we fail. A lot of situations here in the States is nobody structures themselves for success. Nobody structures themselves for preventative measure. The lack of structure um, is, is something that really spoke out to me, especially after 60, 60 days, you know, and one thing that really spooked me out, Tony is so you dress in when you're incarcerated, then you dress out when yeah. you get released. So I dressed in, I was under the influence, uh, had no idea, but then I dressed out 69 days later and I seen what I got incarcerated in my holes or uh, my clothes are full of holes. I got blood stains oh. running down, running down one of my legs. Cause I used to, I used to hit it here with a needle and here with the needle. Uh-huh. So I would wipe uh-huh. on my pant leg. So I got a blood stain all down this left pant leg, dots of blood everywhere. I was taking my underwear garment and I was biting a piece of the cotton off to filter the heroin through the dirty spoon with. So I got underwear with holes in it, stinking. I got clothes full of blood stains from injecting, IV, IV injecting um, heroin. And it just stunk. Yeah. Like I, I, It was like so mind-blowing. You know, and then I also one thing on the way out is I got tested for uh, sexually transmitted diseases, things that you can catch basically intravenously. They gave me an option. Do You want to get your report right now and sit in jail and who knows what or do you want to get it the day you get out? And I was like, so still in my feelings about what had happened that I wanted to get it the day I got out. So I put on all my yeah. nasty clothes. The very last thing the cop yeah. does, the correctional officer does, he hands me the report, the envelope Your and he says, it. all right, kid, we'll see you next time. And I'm like, next time I'm never coming back to this place. Oh I open up the envelope and by the grace of something bigger than us, I had not caught any, any diseases um, from the use of. All so the you know.
0: questions is inherent in addiction. Are the other um of things that can happen to your body because of your addiction and so you got out of that relatively unscathed um one question before we move on um, Adam how scary is it in jail
1: I'm gonna be real with you Tony it wasn't too bad I'm six foot four 240 pounds so I move around okay (laughs) um at that time I was down to about 200 because we clearly put a yes. little bit of healthy weight on when we get in active recovery i had come from the streets you know this was this yes. was me before i walked in there so, so it was
0: not okay it,
1: it wasn't too bad i already thought i was a gangster i already thought i was a hood rat i already thought i was Fair the man enough. with the master plan so for me personally it in between my height and weight and then the the streets that i had just transpired from yes. it wasn't too horrible um, I seen a couple yeah. people get maced in a closed vicinity, so we're breathing in mace, and um I've got one and a half lungs. I got stabbed in April yeah. of two thousand fighting over drugs, so I cool. had a little bit of respiratory issues, but other than that, it wasn't too bad, Tony.
0: Cool, cool. So you get out of jail, you've you're part way to a good start to recovery, and then um What happened next? What was the thing that that happened next? Because I want to talk about Robbie's passing, if that's okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's fine. I can can lead up to that if you want. So basically, I got out. So I was released immediately after that court date. They gave me the week or all the contingencies and we'll let you go right now. Well, not right now, but that day. Uh So they let me go that day. I was in a relationship, um, a codependent relationship with a female at the time. And um, she was in charge of coming to get me. So uh, my non-biological mother, Susan, which basically raised me. um, I love you, mama. If you see this. um, So she borrowed my mom's van. Mom was out of town. She picked me up and she was under the influence of speed because she was just looking like I used to look. And then I get home and I look at, What happened? I look what I diminished. I looked at my life, you know, and I'll never forget it. Everybody was gone. It was just me. I open up the freezer and there's a one liter bottle of vodka right there. And that, that set me off right there. I had two decisions. I could walk away and continue on my journey. That's going to be tough and challenging and sometimes overwhelming, or I can take a sip of that vodka and go right back to what I just came from. So, so I called my uncle the next day and told him to come get it. Uh and um and that and that was the end of it so I just kept working a program I kept going to 12 step meetings I kept going to other meetings reaching out to excessively limited resources in southwest Florida and um you know my bit my my other buddy got out we turned it into a business we started a tree trimming landscaping business that went really well um Robbie had been released and Robbie was Robbie was doing okay but you know, I always tried to get Robbie to a meeting. I always tried to get Robbie to talk about his problems. I always got, mm-hmm. you know, I was excessively open, just like how I am with you today. You know, if, yeah. if somebody, or if I was dealing with something like the whole world knew about it kind of thing, cause I was wearing it yeah. so heavy, but Robbie bottled yeah. all that stuff up. Like he didn't really talk about his feelings. He didn't really talk about things that made him hurt or uncomfortable or, or he did, but it was just yeah. few and far between. Like, I went in abundance to work a program of recovery and he basically didn't work much of a program of recovery at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adam, it's really quite difficult for some men to talk at that level, isn't it? It's hard for them to admit addiction, failure. Um, men die without talking about their issues. And that kind of leads me into the whole stigma of addiction and why we don't, um, as humanity, talk about it. But particularly for men, it's hard for you guys to talk about these things, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So I I, I come from an air, air conditioning sales background. So I've always been very good in vocabulary and expressing yeah. the ability to communicate and delegate and negotiate and the things that are attached to that. But on a general premise, yes, us, us, us men, us boys, we can be exceptionally stubborn. We can be exceptionally thick headed. We can think that we can carry the world, the weight of the world on our shoulders that we don't need yeah. marriage counseling, grieving counseling. We don't even need to talk to nobody. We'll just talk to ourselves at nighttime. You yeah. know, um, it's, yeah. and, and I firmly believe men are excessively ego driven. So it's, it's somewhere between pride and ego That gets us in the way, you know, I go and I speak to men all the time. And when I talk about my brother, I talk about something that's bothering me. I never cried when I was this, when I was this guy, I never shed a tear. Right. And now five, five years and something months later, you know, if I get a soft spot in my heart, um, I'm quick to show my emotions and, you know, we, we need to shatter that stigma. It's okay for men to show emotions. There's a point and a place and a time for us to be tough and rough. And there's a point and a place Mm -hmm. and a time for us to be open and effective in the art of communication as well, whether that be expressing Mm -hmm. our feelings, expressing something that's wrong with us. Basically, if you bottle all that up, it's going to cause volatility within you. Then the next person that comes by with something that you maybe might don't want to hear, it can lead to an an eruption because us guys like to get mad about the situation, you know, It's like, oh, like they just, we try to get frustrated in order to like, um, extinguish the current circumstance or situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, how difficult was it for you after Robbie passed and, and just for the listeners, Robbie, um, died of a fentanyl overdose, Adam.
1: Yeah. So it was the day before my three year, it was, uh, March 10th. Uh, 2019 we were expected to have a good time and and celebrate Adam's milestone per se you know and I knew Robbie had fell off I seen Robbie at at like a Christmas party in December um, prior to Mm -hmm. this um, to this event and um, I clearly could tell he had fell off he was messing with the wrong people the wrong places doing the wrong things but I, I I'll never forget it you know it it was daylight savings time. The clock had sprung forward and I get a text message at like 3 AM from my mom. And it says Robbie's dead. And the first step's denial. Just like, I don't have a problem. I don't need to go to rehab. I don't need to talk to a counselor denial. Right. I was in denial. So I look at the phone, I look at the phone and the only thing I could think to do was text my mother back, Robbie who, like that's Aww. all I had in that moment was Robbie who. Like, I know you're not talking about my Robbie or our Robbie or the Robbie. Robbie who, mom, Robbie Who. Yeah. And she texted me back, Robbie, your brother. So I had to hop in the car. I was about, I don't know, ten or fifteen minutes from the location that he um, got a hold of the fentanyl. So he got a hold of fentanyl that was actually cut with some type of thinner. And um, he actually had a, a brain oh. aneurysm as well. So he was bleeding out of orifices while overdosing. Um, this was the information provided from the people inside the drug house. We call it a trap house in Florida. Um, inside the drug, the drug den, um, a couple of the people that I knew from jail and previous hair braids um, had told me that, you know, basically he got a hold of some really bad stuff and that he, um, he actually overdosed and bled out. So the coroner, it's four or five, six o'clock in the morning. The sun's just about to break. They're like, do you want to go see him? And I'm uh-huh. like, what? No, I don't want to go see him. I'll remember him how I choose to remember him. I got enough trauma yeah. in my life. I got enough nightmares in my life. I'm not walking in yeah. there and seeing my brother in a in a pool of whatever, wherever. Um, yeah. So yeah, instead of a day of celebration, it was a day in the shower crying. It was a day contemplating, like, like, why would God do something like this? Why would my higher power, the universe, yeah. whatever you are, aren't into, yeah. that's cool. Right. But yeah. why would this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to Robbie? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. in it's in, in a somewhere around acceptance, right? Like I, I didn't want to accept that that had happened,
0: yeah.
1: but I needed to accept at that exact moment that that could have been me. Right? It should have been me. I was on the needle way longer. I had shot dope way more times. I I remember the first time Robbie got injected, it was because of me. He's like, hey, man, I see that. Let me try that because he was smoking it, sniffing it. I'm the one that showed Robbie the needle, you know, and now he's dead with a fentanyl overdose. And my mom's freaking out. And the whole block's lit up with red and blue lights, and the corners asking me if I want to go see him. And it was like, it was, uh, you know how I told you I walked in, in jail, jail and it was like, where am I? Right? Yeah. That was the same feeling. Like, yeah. what's going on? Where am I? Is this really happening? Is this really happening, Adam? Yeah. And it was. And Robbie was yeah. Robbie was dead. He actually, um, yeah. after Robbie died, I stopped counting people. Robbie was number 36 from the old circle, the old neighborhood, the old crew, all the old heroin shooters and crack smokers. Robbie was the 36th death
0: from bad our circle. Stats. Yeah, pretty bad stats. Um, so just a question. And sure. How, so I'm a nurse, a, a theater nurse. Uh, uh-huh. Fentanyl is something that we use to um, put people off the sleep and give pain relief. It's very fast acting. And yes. And the thought of someone knowingly, Injecting that outside of a medical setting is is quite horrific for me. How relevant is um, a drug like fentanyl? How accessible can is it easy to get? Um, where where Robbie was was it, and is it is it cheap? Is that why?
1: Yeah. So basically, what what was happening in the South Florida, Southwest Florida area is the um, the price on a kilo of heroin had soared. Yeah. And um, we, um, we could order, well, people could order through the black market fentanyl at a much cheaper price. So then they could take yeah. horrible quality heroin. They could take just on the verge of not even drugs, right? They could cut it with artificial yeah. sweeteners like mannitol and all the additives and put heroin or put fentanyl to it. So we think we're buying heroin, That's what happened is Robbie bought a $20 bag of heroin that was laced with fentanyl. Nobody, nobody in Florida is just going to buy some fentanyl now back long ago before the heroin existed. Did they make the fentanyl patches that you could stick on your arm or the, I've even seen people cut the gel out and eat the gel or eat chew on the, that that's what it was, but it was introduced in our neighborhood as a um, excessively profitable in talking in margins yep. excessively profitable mm-hmm. um, business venture and the byproduct was yeah. the loss of lives so the connects mm-hmm. the drug dealers the drug lords the kingpins everybody was just sending the fentanyl down here and they would take two or three kilograms of poor quality yeah. heroin and they'd sprinkle some fentanyl on it mix it up and just pray they don't kill nobody well,
0: no. um and- from um, that, that, um, my question around um, legalisation of illegal drugs, and I've often wondered, um, thinking about addicts and recovering, um, I actually, if you're addicted to something, my nursing brain says that you would be better placed in a house that has access or, or a facility or a building or a shed that has access to water uh, and, and showers and to legalise some of those drugs that uh, takes away the nasty element. So if you're going to be addicted, at least you're getting something. Like, what are your thoughts on that? I know it's a bit controversial and <laughs> perhaps people will shout me down, but I would... <laughs> I value human life and I actually think if you have an addiction and I would rather you have a safe addiction and if you're going to shoot heroin, I would rather you shoot the stuff that's reasonable and not cut with thinners and going to help you bleed. Like what a horrible thing to do to an addict. They're a human being first and foremost. There's something that's triggered them into that addiction and we should care for them. As if they have a chronic illness. And if we took away the element of um, uh, illegal, um, uh, that's what you've been through. So you've been an addict, you've done the recovery. Is that something that would help?
1: Oh man. Like you said, Tony, I mean, that's, that's excessively controversial. That's a double edged sword. That's a rock and hard place. That's a catch 22, whatever adjective you want to speak on this one. Yeah. I don't know. See in Georgia, they do it a lot different here too. They have what they call um, assisted treatment. So like if you want to do methadone or you want to like a, a needle exchange or you know, bring your old dirty stuff to us and we'll give you new clean stuff to work with. Yeah. yeah. I haven't really done a lot of data um on the back end for success rates. I mm-hmm. know somewhere in Europe it's it's I want to say Denmark, I believe, um or Switzerland yeah. somewhere. Do it's,
0: think, it's yeah.
1: Very I very do you think effective.
0: Pretty good
1: over there. Yeah, yeah, very, very effective with ex- exceptional numbers. You know, mm. man, it's such a hard one though, because like if I if they recreationalized drugs and they let me get a free needle and they gave me a free spoon, is that going to put you back into,
0: yeah. It would have left me where I was,
1: you know, and and, and I get it because my wife, my wife, you know, also is in the recovery movement. She's got almost six years coming up on the 28th. And, you know, it's, it's more of like an open door. Like I, I asked her, I'm like, why do they yeah. give people needles and crack stems and stuff like this, right? Like it's just weird to me normally. They, I come from Florida well, and that's why thing. Right. Yeah, they don't so want
0: people the compounding effects of addiction. So that the 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 hepatitis and, and, and yes. all the other things, they're trying to decrease the impact on sure. the health system. And, and with the hope that they will get you out of addiction and into recovery before you completely uh, F up your life.
1: Right. They chalk it up to almost like um, uh, this, the handing out of condoms for, for protection yeah. purpose. It's more of a protective mm-hmm. purpose while still yeah. leaving the door open in the communication um, on a common plateau so that when somebody's truly sick of what they're doing – they're not scared to talk to somebody because when you're ready to go to rehab, nobody wants to go. Like, I mean, I tried to kill myself and and I ended up getting Baker acted and strapped to a four point chair years before this happened. And I didn't want to go. I I wanted to go get 20 more dollars. I'll, I'll go to rehab only if you buy me a bag of heroin. Like what, Adam, like seriously, you know? So
0: it it was, it was the it was a terrible catalyst of incarceration that finally got you seeing the truth of the situation and got you. You. Ding. Um, to, to, to briefly touch on. Um, because I want to ask you about your wife soon. Um, I want to talk about the mindset that you need to get through recovery
1: an open one an open mindset um you know one of the best sayings i ever heard is only until you start changing the things inside you and around you will the things inside you and around you begin to change i'm gonna say it one more time only until you change the things inside of you and around you will yes. the things inside of mm-hmm. and around you begin to change. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. it takes so much mental toughness. It took crying sure in the shower. It, it took, it took, I mean, just rage and just like I, I refer it to as a skeleton in the closet, right? You have to, at some point yeah. you've got to open that, you've got to open that door, you know, and let and some of skeletons out and you got to deal yep. with things And it's life on life's terms and it's feelings and emotions. And it's it's a brutal, it can be scary, but man, once you make it to the top of that mountain, it's a really nice view on on the ability to overcome.
0: And we mustn't underestimate the work that goes into recovery because those little voices in your head, they don't stop just because you've got to a certain spot in recovery. They don't stop when you get to three years clean and sober. Ever. They don't stop when you Ever. get to six years clean and sober. <laughs> so you have to develop that mental toughness. But that's part and parcel of that healing and recovery journey, isn't it, Adam? That that if you get the right help and support, um you'll be able to do those things. You don't have to do them right at the beginning of starting recovery, but you will gain those things the further along you get. Um, I know that you want to talk about your gorgeous wife. So let's, <laughs> when did she come into your life?
1: Oh, so, you know, we're scheduled to get married October 10th and um, she came into my life uh, last summer. So the epidemic had hit the States. Everybody got locked yeah. down. Put your mask on, hide yeah. in your house. That's a different video for a different day. Um, and then, <laughs> we, <laughs> so that's how we met. You know, she actually, um, we were yeah. following each other on social media. I had seen that she had a hashtag Georgia recovers. And I'm like, well, that's cool. Yes. Cause I'm in Florida and I'm in recovers. Or I'm in recovery. So if Florida recovers yes. and Georgia recovers, that's cool. I'm gonna send her a friend request. You know, and then we just, um, conversated back and forth. I was consistently pumping my YouTube content. Um, she stumbled upon it and without even knowing she created her own channel because during the, everybody sit at your home with your mask on time, she lost her business (laughs) temporarily. She lost herself. Like she went from 60 hour work week, every single day takes a month or two to get on your books. You know about that, Tony to absolutely just sitting there doing yeah, absolutely yes. nothing. So she started her own YouTube channel yeah. and I had already been following her. And then mm-hmm. I seen, she's pumping out YouTube videos and I'm like, first yeah. and foremost, she's beautiful. And second, <laughs> she's doing the same thing I'm doing. We got to talk yeah. about this. So yeah. I actually reached out to her. I said, Hey, you're absolutely amazing. Um, doing what you're doing, Jamie. I would love to help you. Um, and I don't yeah. know all the answers. Nobody knows all the answers. Right. But I can at least explain to you the things that I've learned in my journey through the YouTube content creation on how mm. we can do this together. So we were back mm. and forth for a couple months. Um,
0: yeah, everything
1: was going good. And then I had never left my home state of Florida, you know, and I'm like, yeah, I never rented a car. I never went on a vacation. You didn't take vacations as a drug addict. The vacation was the cloud <laughs> nine after you shoot yeah. some dope, you know? <laughs> So yeah. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna pack my. I'm a. I'm gonna get a rental car. I'm gonna pack the car with my clothes. I'm, drive. I'm just gonna drive. And I hit her up. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm going to see somebody else. So I did a three stop tour. Yeah. I did. I I hit yeah. two other YouTubers. And I came yeah. up here last summer, and we just we just hit it off. And um, within a very short time, we were engaged. And I moved up here December first of 2019. Yeah. Uh, full or 20. Twenty twenty, last year, December first. Yes, yes, And uh, and here we are. You know, it's been that's it's been amazing. Awesome. Yes,
0: that's awesome. Um, I always say this to people. Um, you know, there's lots of people on YouTube. There's lots of people on social media, but there's only one Adam, and there's only one Adam with a message, and there's people that only can hear. Adam's message so right. if you deprive the world of Adam's message you are not reaching the people that you have potential to help um, I just I think that humans are unique the messages and the stories that they have are unique and if you can help one or two people um, to get through the struggle of life then it's a good thing
1: isn't Mission it? Mission achieved Exactly.
0: Yeah. And that's what your passion is now, isn't it, Adam? The the creating of, of videos that specifically talk about recovery and addiction and how, you know, the things that you've learned that helped you get through it. And in the absence of um, lots of other resources, this is something that people can jump onto your YouTube channel and have a look at. And, you know, I... I've been on and looked at a lot of Adam stuff and listened to a lot of Adam stuff and it's really good people. It's really wonderful um passionate authentic heart-centered help understanding and education. Um so sometimes it's just the little things in 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 addition to what you're doing that will help you get through the next thing. It might be something that you're specifically struggling with it, you just can't figure out what the hell, how do I get through this? <laughs> if, if if you find someone that or something or some content that helps you, then that's changed the trajectory of your life because I'm guessing, Adam, that Robbie's loss drives your passion for this YouTube channel and your content forward, Yeah.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. You know, I had already um aspired to be a content creator prior to the loss of my brother, but like that just catapulted yeah. me. That was the uh the straw that broke the camel's back. The it was in, the instilling of for real, like this is what needs to be yes. done, you know. So uh one of the last things we did at Robbie's ceremony was uh we did a balloon release, right, and yeah. um I just wrote a note to Robbie, and it was between me and him, yeah, and uh i uh I've clearly held up my end of the deal, and I firmly yeah. believe Robbie's assisting in the um yeah. acquisition and retention of the rest of the deal um yeah, it was just one of them things like. I just had to accept it. I didn't want to. I had nah. to accept it. And it was, it was tough, but um, yeah, it it's what drives my passion. I mean, I do air conditioning for a living. I'm in a very excessively lucrative yeah. position. I don't have to do anything. I could just go to home and, and sit there, but that's not what drives me. What drives me is yeah. helping the Robbie before Robbie dies, yeah. helping the Adam yeah. before he's incarcerated on a heroin Carcerated. charge in the, um, mm-hmm. And the content creation, I'm just excessively real, raw, and excessively transparent. Um, my Content. Some people don't like it because they want to be told what they want to hear, and that's okay too. That everybody's entitled to their yeah. own decision making. Yeah. But like my videos, they just come from the heart. You know, I I, I, I utilize the hashtag this dude crazy hashtag this dude crazy <laughs> because some people really think I am. They're like, did you just say that? did you just talk about that? And I'm like, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Because I firmly believe, you know, when I lost my anonymity, like my wife's um, my wife always tells me when we lose our anonymity to situations and circumstances, the chains of bondage have been broken and that allows for freedom, both internally, externally, mentally, physically, emotionally, all the leads in the book. And then it's just progression from there. Is it an easy one-way path in recovery? Absolutely not. It's your path. And I just challenge everybody that's watching this to go out there and take your path.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And the other thing to remind everyone of is that when you shine the light on things that are difficult or difficult subjects, and you talk about those difficult subjects from a space of of healing and authenticity, the those things cease to have power over your life. So I absolutely believe that Adam talking about addiction and recovery each and every day, shining a light on what it looks like, what it feels like and, and how it works in his life is a powerful thing for breaking those chains uh, that addiction sometimes has around around people's lives. It's a it's a horrible thing. it has a massive uh, economic, physical, spiritual impact on people's lives. And the more we openly talk about that and give people options and support and help, the less likely we're, to, we're going to lose the robbies in this world. Because every life, no matter what that life looks like, is precious. Everyone has innate um, potential to do something different. Every human being is unique. Um, And I believe that every human being is placed on this planet for a reason, and it's finding that reason, as Adam has done through all of his journeys, all of his struggles, all of his addictions, look what he has created on the other side of that. And I do believe that you and the gorgeous Jamie will create amazing things in the future you know you're you're just young you're just you're just starting but you've already got such a, a powerful message um adam thank you so much for being so vulnerable and courageous in talking about your story today um, i like to remind people that appearing online is not always as easy as it as it looks And that for some of us, myself included, we suffer from what Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover. And the more we speak, the better it gets. But for many of us, there will be times and days where you get off being live and authentic and go, oh, my God, what have I done? What have I said? So I just want to show real appreciation for Adam and sharing your story today with my listeners live online. Adam. Best wishes for the future quickly before we run out of time. What's one of your big things for 2021?
1: Um, we formed, we formed a recovery coaching service. I would love to to see that prevail. We're um, currently looking at uh, p- potentially a non-for-profit to assist in um, the assistance of recovery needs and associated needs um, revolving both around mental health and recovery. Yeah. Um, you know, um, for me, the the prize is 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 in the progress. The prize isn't the ultimate yeah. goal because then I'm on to the next thing. So, I will continue yeah. to to struggle and strive and pursue with passion, and uh, that's that's the biggest thing for me is just keep going one day at a time, one one foot in front of the other. You know, and like you said, if I save one life, mission achieved, and I firmly believe I've already done that. So when I take my last breath of this thing we call life, I can say I did a good job.
0: Adam Armstrong, thank you so much for being on Radio Tony Everyday Business today. Um, I really appreciate your time and I'm very grateful that you agreed to be on the show wonderful listeners if you want more about adam um you'll find his links in the chat on the live channels and you'll also find his information on all of the websites so duck over to radio tony.com and you'll find how you can connect with adam and watch adam's space for anyone who works in a recovery or addiction or thinks you have reach out and talk to adam he's an amazing beautiful human being and we're very lucky to have him on the show today Adam, thanks very much. And that's all for you, all for us this week. We'll be back next week with another edition of Radio Tony Everyday Business. Bye for now. Thanks, Adam.
1: Bye.